This morning, we want to hopefully wrap up our study of the letter of Titus with the, with the theme of the book, and that is to be fruitful, to be fruitful. Church history tells of a king who got tired of the pomp and circumstance, tired of all of the, the uh, duties of being a monarch, and he contemplated stepping down from the throne to direct more of his time to serving in what he thought to be more serving God in, in the church. And when he mentioned this idea to one of the church leaders who was a counselor, the wise counselor told the king this, go back to your throne and do the duty in the station God assigned to you. Now there are times when God does move men out of professions and careers into full-time missionary or pastoral ministry, but God typically just wants you to grow right where you are, to bear fruit right where you are. In the very circumstances, the very situations and relationships in which he has placed you in. In other words, bloom where God plants you. John 15 tells us that God intends for his people to be fruitful. He uses the imagery of the vine and the branches. Like a grape branch abiding in the vine, believers are to, to bear fruit. And using this analogy, Jesus told his disciples that if they abided in the vine, they would bear fruit. Jesus further explained that the branches that abide in the vine would be pruned by the vine dresser, which in this parable, this analogy, is the Father, our Heavenly Father. That the vines would be, that the branches would be pruned by the vine dresser so that they would bear even more fruit. And Jesus adds that, that the Father is glorified when the branches bear much fruit. The branches that He has cared for, the, the branches that He has tended and pruned, then they bear much fruit, thus proving that they are vitally connected to the vine, who is Christ our Lord. Other scriptures, like the many, like many of the ones the Apostle Paul wrote, build upon and emphasize these very, this very same truth of bearing fruit. That those who are recipients of God's grace become instruments and channels through which the, the grace of God abundantly pours out to those around them. To bear fruit, one must be a recipient of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And as recipients of that grace, Christians are called to a life of fruitfulness by being increasingly transformed by God's word, being increasingly obedient to God's word, and increasingly zealous to do the good deeds that God has planned for us to do. Our good deeds aren't the basis of our salvation. Through the study, we've, we've repeatedly emphasized that and will again today. God saves us completely by His grace, not by deeds of righteousness which we have done. Salvation is nothing that we can earn. We must staunchly defend this gospel, the gospel of grace, that God saves us by grace. But we must also strongly defend the truth that that. The same grace that saves is the grace that propels us and impels us into ministry. That propels us, this grace propels us to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. And living for Jesus Christ requires or and gives us the privilege and duty of, of doing the good works which God has prepared beforehand. 
you notice I'm using much of the language that we've looked at from Ephesians 2 in this because it really dovetails well with the whole book of Titus. Engaging in good deeds is a major theme of the book of Titus. So it's fitting that Paul directs our attention back to that here at the close of this letter. And Paul concludes his letter to Titus with a reminder that God calls us to engage in good deeds so that we'll be fruitful, which glorifies our Father in heaven. Let's read the closing of this letter. Uh, I'll read chapter 3, verses uh, 12 to 15. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way, so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Now we're going to just kind of follow along uh, these each each verse, having a, a point for each verse, just kind of an outline to help us walk through this conclusion of Paul's letter to Titus. The first point is to follow example of fruitful leaders. Follow the example of fruitful leaders. How do you follow? How do you? How are you to be a, a fruit, fruitful in, in your life, to bear much fruit? Well, part of that requires that you follow fruitful leaders. Look at verse 12 where Paul, Paul says, he says, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. I just want to highlight uh, two faithful leaders that we are called to, to follow their example. One is Paul and the other is Titus. Um, Paul was a, a man who was very careful to engage in good deeds. You know, there's no quicker way to destroy a church or destroy the ministry than, than to have the pastor say one thing and do another. It's just totally devastating. So Paul is completely in line. Everything that he is commanding us to do through these scriptures, he has been faithful to do. He has blazed the trail. He has shown an example. Not everybody, in fact, only there was only one Paul. So say there's not everybody is a Paul, but not everybody's apostle, not everybody's a preacher, not everybody's a teacher, but everybody has uh, good deeds that God wants them to do. So that's that's really the idea here is looking at his example. If you were to paint a portrait of the apostle Paul, from what we know of him in the scriptures, you would undoubtedly describe Paul as a man of action, even as he was a as a brilliant theologian and an excellent teacher. He was a man of action. Paul didn't let grass grow underneath his feet. Right? He was moving. He was doing what God called him to do. Sometimes that's because people were chasing him. But nonetheless, Paul was a man of action. He would move on. He wouldn't retire. Okay? Paul simply wanted to live his life for Jesus Christ. And, and that meant being careful to engage in all the good deeds that God had prepared for him. And think about that, that, that idea from Ephesians 2.10, that, that there are those good deeds which God has prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. When God saved you, he created uh, things for you to do, good deeds for you to do. And that's a broad banner. We looked at that. I won't take time to kind of define what good deeds are. They're, they're anything from evangelism to fruit in your own life to serving others. There's just a, a, a huge range of things that fall under that the banner of good deeds. For Paul, doing good deeds meant leading a major missionary effort. 
discipling people, training them, teaching them, preaching them, preaching to them, and, and even directing the comings and goings of, of all of his assistants, those who came alongside Paul to strengthen his ministry and really made his ministry all that much better. Uh, we've, we've said before in, this, um, in other messages, and it's important for us to note that Paul is not a one-man show. He was the lead, but he was not the one-man show. He had lots of people around him who enabled his ministry and helped him in the ministry to to um, to kind of expand and and make that ministry ever more effective for Christ, uh, his Lord. Um, and he would direct people, as we've seen, and that's why he writes to Titus. He had he had ministered with Titus on the island of Crete, and he left Titus on Crete with a specific responsibility. Titus wasn't to become like the the bishop of of Crete long term. He a, bishop is another word for for elder, literally. But uh, some churches today refer to that as a as a different kind of a different hierarchical term. Um, but Scripture doesn't support that. Titus wasn't given to be like a pastor over the churches. He was simply the apostolic delegate. Paul's delegate to help strengthen these churches. They must have been young because they needed elders appointed and they needed some direction and guidance. And so Paul left Titus on Crete to set in order what remains and to appoint elders. We know that from uh, Titus 1. Paul envisioned a time in the not too distant future when Titus's job there would be completed or at least the churches would be would be settled to the point where someone else could take the baton from Titus. Titus could leave and come back to Paul. Um, and, and yet the churches on Crete were probably young enough that even with the new elders appointed, Paul knew they would need extra guidance, extra discipleship, extra help, especially with the fault, many false teachers that were on Crete. And so Paul not only planned for Titus to leave, but he planned for another one of his associates to come and help the church, help guide the church, until it was uh, more mature and more stable. So who are these men? He says, he mentions two of them, Artemis or Tychicus. He says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me. Artemis. Artemis is a Greek name, but we don't know, we we, we really don't know much about him. There's nothing else mentioned about him in, in Scripture. He could have been a Greek convert to Christianity, uh, but that's not even certain because Jews who lived in Macedonia and Greece and even in Rome, they would adopt uh, Greek names. So they would go by, I mean, you have Saul and you have Paul. That's a good example. They use both names. So it, it's not certain that he was Greek. He, he could have been. But what we do know with certainty is he was a faithful man or else Paul would not have sent him, uh, planning to, to possibly send him to the island of Crete. He's a man with spiritual maturity, with spiritual gifting as a teacher and as a pastor to be able to come alongside the churches on Crete and help strengthen them like Titus was doing, but kind of just take the baton from Titus. And he, and he must have been uh, among those faithful men like Timothy, like Titus, whom Paul entrusted with follow-up ministries to the churches under Paul's care. Uh, again, nothing further is said about him. The next man is Tychicus. Tychicus is, is described in Colossians 4, 7 and Ephesians as a beloved brother and faithful servant. So we do know a bit more about Tychicus. Paul also calls him a fellow slave in the Lord. He was entrusted with delivering uh, an update on Paul's ministries, uh, both to the, the church at Ephesus and the church at Colossae. And, and it seems that 
that he delivered the letter of Colossae. He, he delivered that letter uh, from Paul to the church at Colossae. And in Acts 20 verse 4 tells us that Tychicus was among the faithful men who accompanied Paul on his journey when he collected the, the offerings from the churches in Macedonia and elsewhere for the poor in Jerusalem. Tychicus was among those faithful men who delivered that gift to the saints in Jerusalem. So at the time this letter was was written to Titus, and you can see it there, he says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, we, we, that indicates to us that Paul did not know exactly when he would send Artemis or Tychicus. And the fact that he mentions these two men, uh, one or the other, shows us that he hadn't even decided which one of them would be the, the replacement for Titus. We're not told why. Uh, likely, it's it's that Paul didn't exactly know when either one of these men would, would come to him. So um, he, w- he would have waited on Tychicus or he waited on Artemis to, to be available. These men probably were on other ministries in other cities, and he was, was not sure which one of them would become available first. But that's, that's just speculation because Scripture doesn't, doesn't tell us. But at the time when Paul wrote this letter, he was not sure which one of them that he would send. Now it appears, uh, again, this is, this is reading a little bit into the white, white pages of Scripture, but it appears that Ar- Artemis is the one that actually did go to Crete and replace Titus. And, and we know that, uh, or at least we can uh, uh, conclude that, from 2 Timothy 4.12. Because there we read, remember 2 Timothy is the last letter Paul wrote. He was imprisoned and he knew he was headed to death. He knew he would be martyred. And, and in that, he tells us, in that verse, 2 Timothy 4.12, we read that Tychicus was sent to do ministry in Ephesus. So Tychicus had been in Ephesus one other time, and Paul thought it necessary to send Tychicus to Ephesus. So the timing suggests that it was Artemis who came uh, to the island of Crete to replace uh, Titus. Paul was a man who was busy with work, with the work that God uh, had given him, doing those good works which God prepared beforehand that Paul would walk in them. And I just want to remind us of kind of the bigger picture. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, we're told this. Paul says this. Be imitators of me. But he didn't want to create little Paulites or Saulites. That's not your job. He says, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. So who do you think that Paul got this, this idea of being busy about the Father's work? I use that language intentionally. Christ. When Christ came, he, he, he told his disciples, he even told his parents, he had to be busy about the work that the Father had given him to do. So when we, when we catch a, a vision for being busy with the work that God has called us to do, it's really just following Christ. We're looking at Paul's example, but ultimately we're following Christ. So think about this. I'm trying to be very try practical with this. You are you are called to follow their example. Are you diligently doing the work that God has prepared for you to do? If you're saved, God has prepared work for you to do. Are you doing that? Are you pursuing that? Are you using your gifting uh, for his glory in that way? Are you pursuing the things that God has given you to do? Well, look at Paul's example and, and follow his example. But there's there's someone else I want to point out. That's, that gives us a faithful example, and that's Titus himself. Titus was discipled by Paul, and, 
And like Paul was a man who was busy with ministry. Wherever he's mentioned, it's only a few places, but wherever he is mentioned in Scripture, he is, he's being sent on a ministry or on a mission. Titus had proven himself to be a faithful co-laborer with the apostle. And thus Paul felt full confidence to, to leave him on Crete and complete the mission. He had trained Titus that in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, he knew Titus could complete the mission of, of, of uh, shoring up what is lacking in the churches and appointing elders. Titus was a, a faithful man and uh, Paul had full confidence in him. Titus, following Paul's example, was a man who was fully committed, who had fully committed his life to doing the good deeds that, that God called him to do and prepared for him to do. And in this case, Titus knew that, that, that his work was assisting Paul in the work of, of planting and strengthening churches. That was the ministry that, that God had prepared for Titus to do. And Titus, uh, as I mentioned, was not called to be the long-term pastor. He knew he was just there short-term. In this case, the letter makes it very clear to him that he was to, to come to meet Paul at, at Nicopolis. And we'll look at that in a minute. But his mission on the island of Crete would soon be done. He had to work diligently to make sure that his mission was completed by the time he needed to leave to go meet Paul. So he is called to meet Paul in, in Nicopolis just as soon as the replacement arrives. Paul did not want Titus to leave the church without a helper. So he tells them just to, to wait. When your helper arrives, when Artemis or Tychicus arrives, then you come to me. Now, Paul urged Titus to make every effort to come to him. We, we see that um, in, in verse 12. Make every effort um, to, to come to me at Nicopolis. So Nicopolis, um, let me back up and just say the, the, the idea of making ever, every effort is, is, is the idea of doing your best. Um, uh, the, the Legacy Standard Bible Translation says to be diligent. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a Greek word that's hard to translate. I think impossible to translate the full meaning in, in one word. And so um, Mounts uh, suggest, a uh, Greek scholar suggests that the meaning is akin to, to do your best. In other words, he's telling Titus, do your best to, to meet me in Nicopolis. Uh, the, the emphasis here is not on the timing of Titus's um, uh, meeting up with uh, Paul, but Titus was to do everything he could to make sure he rendezvoused with Paul in Nicopolis in the winter, sometime in the winter, and probably uh, before winter fully set in. Now, Nicopolis was a, a city in the western part of Greece. There are some uh, church historians that say Paul really didn't visit at all the western side of Macedonia or the western side of Greece. And and it's true, there's there's nothing mentioned that Paul visited there except for this this little mentioning of the city of Nicopolis. So it's likely that Paul picked this city out because he wanted to minister in areas that he had not been before. And it was on the western side of, of uh, Macedonia, of Greece, modern-day Greece, it, which would lend um, him to... He wanted to go west. He eventually wanted to go to Spain. There's speculation whether Paul ever went, ever made it to Spain or not. Some say he did. Some say he didn't. Scriptures don't tell us. But it's, uh, it is it is interesting that, that many church uh, historians and scholars believe that it was at Nicopolis, in Nicopolis, where Paul was re-arrested the second time and taken to Rome and, and then never released. So um, he may have gone to Spain and come back to Nicopolis, but there's reason to believe that he was re-arrested, his second imprisonment from Nicopolis. Now, 
there are actually quite a few cities named Nicopolis. I mean, I use the word city. Don't think of New York City, okay? That that doesn't, you know, it's more like developments, right? They did develop uh, towns, is what you might might call them. Um, but Nicopolis um, was a very popular name because of of what the name meant, right? So we use we we use the word the suffix uh, uh, polis to even call uh, certain cities like for example Indianapolis is the city of Indianapolis as the city of Indiana and Minneapolis is the city of Minnesota well Nicopolis is the city of Nike which means victory right? so it means victory town and and so hence it was very popular to be called victory town now this particular victory town was named that by Octavian who you might better recognize as Caesar Augustus, to commemorate his victory over Mark Antony and Cleopatra at the Battle of Actium. And the battle was mostly a sea battle, but his, his uh, armies and his forces camped at a, near Actium, and, and where they camped is the area where he decided to build this city of Nicopolis, and so he built it up. And and if you could travel there, I looked on the internet, and it's the uh, the tour site is closed right now, but um, it, you could travel there, and there, there's still Roman uh, nice Roman ruins that you could go and see in Ni- Nicopolis. So um, it was all built up, aqueduct, um, and a, a little. Um, theater and and there are other things that are still remaining that you could go see today so that that's where uh, Paul uh, wanted Titus to meet him um, now Paul when, when in Paul's day that that town was a, a thriving a thriving city it, it it was the northwest roads of western Macedonia I think it also had a port from which they could launch out into Italy or points uh, into the Mediterranean so it was uh, it was it was quite uh, busy in Paul's day. Um, but Paul wanted him to meet Paul wanted Titus to meet him in Nicopolis because he had decided to winter there. All right. So uh, why would Paul slow down in the winter? Think about that. What do we know from the Book of Acts? Shipwrecks. When did that happen? The winter. Right. Sailing in winters in the Mediterranean at that time was hazardous, treacherous. And many many of Paul's ministries, he, he traveled by ship because it's much quicker. It was less hazardous over the road. You had many hazards of, of robbers and thieves and, and other things like that. So he did travel by road, but he would often travel by ship. And so he was calling uh, Titus to, to meet him in Nicopolis. Um, and again, that's Western uh, Macedonia and Western Greece. And in, in, and in 2 Timothy 4.10, we're told, again, that's the letter just at, near the end of Paul's life, we're told that, that Paul sent out men to do different ministries. And uh, we're told that Titus is sent to Dalmatia. Dalmatia. So we know that Titus did eventually leave Crete, join Paul in Nicopolis, and and from Nicopolis go to Dalmatia. And Dalmatia, we know that because Dalmatia is just north uh, is north of Nicopolis. So Paul sent Timothy to do work there. So just seeing these examples, these are historical facts, but I'm trying to help you to see that, that these men trailblazed a, a path that we're called to follow. They, they are examples for us to follow. 
Look at the examples of Titus and Paul, men eager to do the work that God had called them to do and and were called to follow their examples. Now, we're not most of us aren't called to to the same type of ministry, um, the, the work of traveling from here to there, planning uh, churches here or there. There aren't many that are called to do that. We want to raise up and send out more. But most of us are called to be here and serving the Lord here. So the question is, is not, you know, serving God over there somewhere, but serving God right where you are at. What has God called you to do right where you're at right now? What good works does he want you to be engaged with right now? Well, let's move from following, just looking at following the example of of um, fruitful leaders like Paul and Titus to the next verse, verse 13, that I'll just uh, outline or entitled, enable others to be fruitful. So follow the the fruitful leaders around you, then enable others to be fruitful. So he, there Paul tells Titus, diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Paul calls Titus to help Zenos and Apollos on their way. Like the two men in verse 12, here we have one man we know nothing about and another one we know a fair bit about. We know virtually nothing about Zenos, except he was the lawyer, which is what Paul mentioned. And we don't even know what type of lawyer. People people speculate that because he has a Greek name, Zenos, he must have been an expert in Roman law. And and if indeed he was Greek, that's probably accurate. But it could be that this Zenos was simply his Greek name and he was Jewish, and therefore he would have been a Jewish lawyer, uh, expert in Jewish law. Maybe he was both. We don't know. But he was a lawyer. And I think that uh, in, in, uh, in a sense it shows God's sense of humor, that, that God is encouraging the lawyers out there that they could be righteous and holy and live a godly life and do something for God. Okay, So uh, there are a few cases where, where, um, where professions of people are mentioned, like Luke was known as a, known as a doctor because that's mentioned in script, Scripture. So uh, God... God wants us to serve him where, where he's at. But uh, other than that, we just don't know much about him. But again, like, like Artemis, we can, we can um, kind of piece together a, a character sketch of him. Uh, he must have been faithful. He must have been someone who Paul judged to be worthy of help. And uh, we note that Zenos was traveling with Apollo. So we'll say something a bit in a moment. But because he was traveling with Apollos and because Paul was requesting that Titus help these two men, we know that they were headed on ministry, right? So Zenos here, even though he's a lawyer, is likely not going to do legal work, uh, although, you know, that we, that's just a guess. But Paul is asking um, him to, to help these two men. Now, we, we uh, can suppose that they were headed to do ministry because of what Paul mentions. Who, who else he mentions? And that's Apollos. Uh, Apollos is mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament, a lot in the book of 1 Corinthians. Apollos was a Jew born in Alexandria, Egypt. Apollos is described as an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. You know, we talk about working out and developing uh, uh, physical muscles to be physically mighty, but Apollos was known as a man who was mighty in the scriptures. Just like physical exercise, that doesn't happen magically. That happens by hard work. It reflects that Apollos was, was trained by godly parents, by godly 
disciples. We're not told about them, but they had to be there for him to be a man who was mighty in the scriptures, even before he accurately understood the gospel. As we know that later, there uh, some of Paul's disciples came, Priscilla and Aquila came alongside and helped guide uh, Apollos uh, to understand more rightly the the gospel. So Apollos was uh, an excellent preacher, an excellent teacher, and and so much so that the Corinthians ranked him with Paul, Peter, and even Jesus. You know, when the Corinthians were dividing, sinfully so, they were creating these little factions. You know, there was the Paul faction, the Peter faction, the Jesus faction, and then there was the Apollos faction. I mean, that tells you how what kind of preacher he was, that he was right up there with our Lord. He was right up there in fame with with uh, two, two of the lead apostles. Um, so that tells us that, that that um, he was going to do ministry. And I think it's so wonderful how, how there's never any kind of like, there's never any kind of record of Apollos and Paul and Peter butting heads over who was the greatest. So there's no mention of that. In fact, Paul says this. He says that, that, um, that he planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. And so you have these men with dynamic ministries who are working together for the cause of Christ, they're just focused on glorifying God. And they they fully understand that God equips and gifts according to his perfect desire. And and it's just a a perfect illustration of how even men who were all very strongly gifted can work together for the glory of God. They're not competing with one another. They're working together. And that's what Paul emphasizes in 1 Corinthians 3, 5, that he planted a Paul's water, God caused the grove. And he rebuked the divisions within the church there in the, in the letter of 1 Corinthians. So uh, here you have Zenos and Apollos, and they were traveling from somewhere where Paul was to some other place, but they were going by the way, by through Crete, or traveling through Crete. Perhaps they had ministry on the island of Crete. Which seems a little doubtful to me because, uh, else he would have, he would have ministered, would have said something further, uh, to Titus. So it, it seems that these men were simply on a ship that was stopping in, that was stopping on the island of Crete, resupplying itself, and then headed, headed on. Perhaps they were headed to Alexandria since Apollos was from there to do ministry there. We're uncertain. But wherever they were headed, Titus was called to help them. And it's interesting that it's probably these two men, Zenos and Apollos, who brought the letter of Titus to the island of Crete to Titus. So they're traveling from Paul uh, to the island of Crete delivering this letter. So um, they needed help along their ministry. And, and Paul calls Titus to fully enable these men on their way. Look at what he says. Diligently help them. Diligently help them on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Paul tells Titus to make sure that nothing is lacking for Zenos and Apollos. These men would need lodging, meals, and probably money to help them on their way, wherever they were going. Titus, and by application, the churches on the island of Crete, were called to do the work, the good work of taking care of these men while they were on Crete and making sure these men were properly resupplied and equipped for the next leg of their ministry journey. Travel in, in this period of history could be hazardous, as I mentioned. Christians were often called upon to help missionaries and traveling pastors, evangelists, like Paul, like Apollos, like Zenos, to, to help provide hospitality and financial help uh, so that these men could, could 
carry on their ministry. They needed that practical support. And there wasn't a system of like safe uh, safe hotels and you couldn't just take along your bank card, obviously, nor did you want to carry a lot of cash, nor did they probably have a lot of cash and coins to take along with them. So they, they depend upon Christians to resupply them along the way. And Paul calls them to do that. He affirms them. In a sense, this is very important because there were false teachers who also tried to take care, take advantage of the same strategy. We read about that some in the letters of First, Second, and Third John, the letter of Jude, where there are these false teachers that you must not help on their way. So there is some discernment there. So really, that the letter here serves as commendation for Zenos and Apollos, and they were to be helped um, on their way. Now, notice that he calls them to diligently help to diligently help to to see that that they meant that nothing is lacking nothing is lacking fully supplied whatever they might need now think about even what our own situation we're not only called to follow the example of paul and following fruitful leaders but we are called to enable the others to be fruitful and we get a glimpse of this from the letter of third john and i'll just turn there for a moment Third John, Let's turn a little bit um, to the right in your in your Bibles. Third John. I'm going to begin reading at verses five to eight. Third John, beginning at verse five. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. So the idea there is is to fully supply them, make sure nothing is lacking. The idea is to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. giving, Giving them everything you can, giving them everything that they need for their journey. That that's, that's what we're called to do. And it's it's really, uh, I guess, encouraging to read verse 8, where it says, Therefore we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. So by propelling and, and enabling the, the other people to be faithful in whatever ministry God has called them to do, we become fellow workers with them. And that's what we try to do with our missionaries here, that through through prayer and financial support, we become partakers with them. We can't be there. You know, these missionaries that are making trips into the Ukraine and trying to trying to provide up housing to help Ukrainian refugees. We can't be there with them, but by helping, enabling their ministry, by supporting them financially, uh, sponsoring some of these trips uh, into the border of Ukraine and get back out, we become partners, real partners with them. They couldn't do what they do without us and and we all we all can't go there and do that kind of ministry and help. God has placed them at this this place at this time, and those are the good deeds that He's calling them to do. We need to enable that, enable them to do that. Um, so, if God calls you to be an enablers of to be an enabler of others, then then do it well. Do it well so that they can be fully fruitful in the ministries that God calls them to. Well, I want to move on to verse 14, where I want us to really this hits the hits the heart of what we're talking about. And here, verse th- verse 14, I'm just going to title, Learn to be Faithful. So follow the 
uh, fruitful leaders, enable the others to be fruitful, and learn to be fruitful yourself. Paul commands that believers learn to engage in good deeds. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. With this repeated command, Paul brings us back to the heart of Titus. One of the main themes of Titus is to engage in good deeds. Be careful to engage in good deeds. Be ready to engage in good deeds. All those phrases are used in Titus. Paul tells Titus that believers there on Crete and by application us need to learn to engage in good deeds. And the phrase our people in, in the front refers to believers. Uh, but Paul, Paul probably also meant that that there were those people who who would listen to apostolic teaching and instruction and those who wouldn't, those who would be rejected. And so he's kind of drawing um, drawing a, a little bit of a divide between the group. He's saying the ones who will listen, those within the church who remain within the church, who remain obedient to the word of God, these tell them that they must learn to engage in good deeds. Anyone who is a true believer and a lover of the truth would be loved and accepted by Paul. And yet to the unbeliever, there, there's two separate messages that Paul has. To the believer, Paul commanded that they learn to engage in good deeds. He's, he's saying like, giddy up, let's get with it, let's learn. You need to get, in, get with the program. They needed some encouragement to do that or else Paul wouldn't have written this. There wouldn't be such a theme on this. But to the unbeliever, Paul commands something very different. He commands that they repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. The command isn't get busy and do work. The command is repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. And we always need to maintain that distinction. Right? Unbelievers need to be saved. Right? They can't really do fruitful good works without being saved. But someone who is saved by grace then is impelled by that grace to do good works and needs that exhortation. Um, we must learn to engage in good deeds. Learn. Notice that phrase. Not just do, but learn. Learn to engage in good deeds. And this, this command from Paul to Titus is really a command for from Paul to the people. So Titus's responsibility is to convey this command and, and when he does so, he's to help people understand they have a duty to learn. That Titus teaches, their duty is to learn. And the word, the word learn here is, is the verb form of the noun from which we get the disciple. So if you're a disciple of Christ, you're a learner of Christ. If you're a disciple, you are a learner. And that's, that's basically we get to the heart of this. Um, and the idea of learning flows from the heart of the Great Commission. Just listen as I read Matthew 28, uh, verses 19 and 20. Jesus commanded his disciples, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice verse 20, teaching. When people were converted they then needed to be taught. When they were saved and they were redeemed and made righteous by grace uh, through faith in Jesus Christ, they were then to be taught. In other words, their responsibility, the disciples were to teach, that the, the apostles were to teach, and the new disciple was put in a place of learning. He was called to, to spend his life learning. And, and what is it to, to learn? Um, they were called to be learners of Scripture, 
so that their minds were transformed by the word of God. They were called, as we see here, to learn to engage in good deeds. And, and this whole idea of learning is not merely theoretical or academic. Uh, one commentator notes that, that to learn, the Greek word to learn here, refers not merely to intellectual acquisition, but to learning and putting what one has learned into practice. To learning and putting what one has learned into practice. They are to learn by doing. So your mind is informed, but then you go practice. It's like it's like watching somebody watching somebody evangelize somebody else. You can learn a lot that way. And and that's that's a, a excellent way to be discipled on on how to evangelize. Just go watch. Right? And we provide opportunities uh, for that um, with with people that go out. You can just go watch. But in watching, you can develop the idea that you think you know how to evangelize. And you can you can kind of think you know how to do it, but then when you go to do it, you learn what? Oh, what did he, what did he say when that person said this? Or how do you keep a person on track with the gospel? There's all these things that you learn by doing. There's no other way to do it but to learn by doing. I mean, how how let's let's just put it um, in a baseball analogy for baseball fans since they're striking. There's no baseball now, right now anyway. Um, but how well do you think that a baseball player would do it at bat if all he did was watch other people bat? And he took no practice swings himself until the game, right? I see you shaking your heads. You're right. You know it. He would not do very well even if he was the most athletic of players if he had never swung the bat. So it's something that, yes, you learn some by watching, but but some of these good deeds, you just have to do them. You have to get engaged so that you really learn you know, the full aspect of, of learning how to do these things. So that's really what he's calling us to. And, and this command here is given in the active present tense so so this is going to be something ongoing it's it's not to end we're lifelong learners you're a christian you're a lifelong learner you will never know it all just like paul never knew it all i'll never know it all i think the more i learn the more i learn that i don't know i think that's all it does right it shows me how deep the scriptures are the more i learn about the scriptures the more i understand that i don't understand so because the scriptures are so profound right so uh, i am learning just like you're learning but again, it's just there's a richness. We're called to, to lifelong learning. So as we put these things together, the, the word of God is to inform us of what is good. The, the, the categories of what is good. The type of good deeds that believers are called to do. But you are called to use this general knowledge then to, in specific situations, to, to live it out and learn how to do it. Make it practical. Uh, make it uh, experiential, Right? That, that's where you live out your faith. That's where our faith meets the, the rubber of our faith meets the road is right there when we're doing good works. And, and notice that Paul adds this in verse 14. He says, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds. He adds this, to meet pressing needs. To meet pressing needs. He's not just saying to meet only pressing needs, but he's saying you gotta, you gotta get the basics. You, you, you gotta get the ones that are really obvious, the, the really pressing needs. Needs are a word that just means the necessities of life. And pressing, the word pressing carries the idea of something urgent. So there's an urgent need, something that somebody needs urgently in order to, to, to live or to minister. Uh, Paul is calling attention to the urgent needs that God puts right in front of us. These are the truly necessary things that are needed for life and or ministry. 
Uh, a specific example in this context is the urgent need to help Zenos and Apollos on their way. Without that help, Zenos and Apollos, the implication is, they're not going to be able to continue on their way without that help. It was urgent. It was needed. Um, God, God places things like this right in front of us, right? So I don't know all the, the, the things that God is accomplishing through the war in Ukraine, but God had, through this, God has placed urgent pressing needs, uh, in front of us, in front of the church. And, and there are so many, uh, faithful organizations right now trying to, to rescue people out of Ukraine, trying to provide help into Ukraine. These are like the obvious things the church has just got to do. They're the pressing ones. They're like, um, you know, they're like, it's like that slow, straight pitch over home plate. You better hit it out of the park, right? Because God's placed it there. He's placed it right there for you to do that. And he's enabled you to, to participate in that to whatever extent that he's called you to do. So, so that's what we're, that's what we want to do is, is that's just an example. Look for those things. Be ready for those things. Be alert for those things so that you can spring into action. And he notices there the reason. He says that to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. You know, as Jesus told his disciples, our Heavenly Father is glorified when we bear much fruit. And our good works, especially those of meeting urgent needs, are actions that show that we are indeed Christians, that we belong to God, we are ambassadors of Christ and heirs of God. And God gets glory for that. It's not us doing it, it's God doing it. Whatever, whatever we do in the name of Christ, it's God doing it through us. And, and if you are an heir of God, then you have all the resources of heaven at your disposal to meet pressing needs. You know, it's real easy to see a need and you say, well, I, I can't meet that one. And you just move on. Well, you might not be able to meet that need. But have you ever thought that maybe God allowed you to see that need so you could help meet that need? Maybe you can't meet it, but maybe you know someone who can. Or you can gather a collection of, of, of people that can gather together and together that need can be met. You know, it's it's um, it's as simple as seeing the need. Maybe you can't meet it. Maybe you can't do anything, but you can pray about it. Right? You're looking to try to find a way to meet the need. Uh, just to give you a very simple example, when uh, we, at Grace Community Church, when someone was doing some training on behalf of the volunteers that that train, there are hundreds of volunteers that that serve the pastors and elders, missionaries that come to the Shepherds Conference, the Pastors Conference. Uh, that, I, that I'm going to even this week, they train the volunteers to just look for any any way they can help. If there's a piece of paper on the ground, pick it up and put it in the garbage. You saw it? God's called you to pick it up and put it in the garbage. Make it more pleasant environment. Uh, a pastor asks you a question, you don't know the answer? Well, don't just say you don't know. Go with them and go find out who knows the answer to that question. So, that, that person becomes a, a, a vehicle of providing encouragement to a pastor or missionary. And that, this is just a small example of how God wants us to, to serve him, sometimes in the little things. Um, of, and by showing faithfulness in the little things, he will entrust us with greater things in the future. And, and it just comes from learning. God wants us to be fruitful so that we glorify him. Now I want you to see a kind of a, a parallel idea to this, a, a passage in, in 2 Peter. So if you would turn to 
Second Peter, chapter 1. Second Peter, chapter 1. I'm beginning reading at verse 2. There Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice there's a there's a bit of parallel idea there the idea of of adding these 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 characteristics and and doing these things these qualities that are require um, the Lord's help they require instruction from God but they also require us to pursue them to practice them to develop these characteristics and and if we will do that the Lord promises that we will not be useless or unfruitful it, the the emphasis there is really on the, on the positive that will be fruitful. And notice how practical it gets, these characteristics. There at the end, he says, uh, brotherly kindness and your brotherly kindness love. Those things are, are expressions of, of meeting practical needs there at the end. So as we look at Titus, he, he says we must learn to, do, learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs so that we'll not be unfruitful. And really the, the, um, the emphasis here, although it's worded in the negative, it's really meant to be an encouragement to us to do the work that God has called us to do, um, to, to, to do that. Um, so as we just take a step back and, and think about applying this, commit yourself to, to learn to engage in good deeds. Maybe you're already doing that, and I know many of you are. Right? Do so, excel, seek to excel still more. Follow the examples of others, enable others, and go learn yourself. This is so critical to the life of a, of a healthy church, particularly our local church. And, and Medina Bible Church is no exception to this. As one faithful pastor noted, and I'll just quote him, he says, it is not possible for a pastor or even a team of pastors in a large church to meet all of the many pressing needs of a congregation. Not only is there not enough time for one man to do it all, but other believers in the church invariably have spiritual gifts and abilities that the pastor does not have by which certain good deeds can be accomplished and certain pressing needs of fellow believers can be met. Unquote. The Lord wants you to be engaged in good deeds. Your church and your community need you to be engaged in good deeds. And by being engaged in good deeds, God is glorified. Now, there's one other thing I want to look at in, in closing, and that is uh, the last verse, verse 15. It's one other thing we need to note, and that, that is this. We must depend upon God's grace for us to be fruitful. This isn't about us. That's how we glorify our Father. Our Father isn't glorified if we're just doing all these things in a self-sufficient way. We're to be dependent upon Him, upon His grace. Uh, so 
fourthly, just, just realize we need to depend upon God's grace to enable us to, to be fruitful, to enable us to learn to be fruitful. And, and Paul closes out his letter with greetings. This is, this is typical uh, ending for a letter of, of, the, of, of that time. Uh, and so we can look at these as just mere formalities. You know, sometimes you get a letter and you just kind of skip the introduction and the closing. You read other parts, but but realize that though these are just formalities from the sense of a letter, that they are still part of Scripture and still have some redeeming value for us to encourage us. Um, Paul greets, sends his greetings. If you look at verse fifteen, he says, "All who are with me greet you." Paul uh, wanted Titus. Um, to, to know that those who are with him uh, sent their greetings. And, and the, the you here, all those, he says, all who are with, with me greet you, that you is a, is a singular you. In English, we don't really differentiate that, but in Greek they do. So he's, he's talking to Titus. So all those who are with Paul, whoever they were, he doesn't name them. They're probably associates that, that uh, Titus would know, and, and Titus would generally know those who are with, uh, who are with Paul. Uh, sent him greetings, and this greetings is important to encourage Titus, um, that, that just remind him that he was loved and cared for and greeted. Uh, next, Paul um, then uh, commands Titus to to greet those who love us in the faith. He says, "Greet those who love us in the faith." So the emphasis here on, on doing good deeds. Um, is, is really about depending on the Lord's grace. It's God's grace that, that saved us, and it's God's grace that enabled us to do good deeds. And here, Paul is trying to convey that, that greeting, that com- camaraderieship to all those who, who love us in the faith. And, and um, you know, he was just conveying that the faith, the true faith, and that, that Titus was to convey greetings. They would have, the, the believers on the island of Crete would have, would have known Paul, would have met him. And is conveying the, uh, his greetings to them. And again, it's just, it's just a way to express love is to greet one another. And then Paul ends with this phrase, grace be with you all. Okay? So Paul ends his letter with the idea of grace. He began his letter in, in verse 4, chapter 1, with the idea of grace. And so he provides a bit of a bookend, as he often does in many of his letters, on the emphasis on grace, on, that is, God's unmerited favor. We are called to, to live by faith. Right? So if you're not certain of where you're at this morning in your relationship with Christ, the message is for you to repent of your sins and believe in Christ, to know that He is the Messiah. He's the one who died for your sins. And that if you believe in Him, He grants you forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And for all those who already believe the call this morning for you the message for you to hear is to be fruitful to live for the glory of your heavenly father by bearing much fruit beloved these are unprecedented times in in history for us Uh, none of us have lived with so much evil and so much chaos going around us now for for years and it just seems to Just when you think when one thing is going to be gone, then something else uh, comes up. And it's surprising to us, but God is not surprised or caught off guard by anything that is happening today. He has placed you right where you are at this time, at this place, 
so that you would serve him right where you are. Uh, God wants you to do the good deeds. He has prepared good deeds for you to do that you would walk in them. And that means all of you, every single one of you, has been given a lifelong task of good deeds to do for the glory of God. Right? Sometimes it's easy to sit back and say, well, yeah, I, I can see that there's visible roles, like my role as a pastor. And you might think, well, there's there's not much that needs to be done. Well, that's I, I ask you just to take a step back and look more carefully. You can come ask me or ask some of the other leaders on things. There are things that we're doing um, that we're doing just because they need to be done and now that someone else can help do those things and we can focus on something else. And when I talk about serving, I'm not just talking about serving on Sunday morning either. Right? There's so much ministry that needs to happen through the week individually and, and the good deeds that God provides for you to do at your work or your workplace or even in your retirement or whatever, whatever stage of life God has you in. God has prepared good deeds for you to do those things with whatever physical limitations you might have or financial limitations you might have. Right? He's prepared them, so walk in them and ask him to, to help you have eyes to see those things that he wants you to do. Uh, seek to be faithful, seek to be fruitful, and the Lord will be uh, faithful to direct your steps and, and glorify himself through you. He, he will do that. He has promised to do that. And that's why he's given us the letter of Titus. Well, let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we do just want to exalt you and praise you and thank you for your grace, the grace that saves us, the grace that redeems us, the grace that cleanses us from all of our sin, the grace that gifts us to serve, and the grace that impels and moves us to to, to serve others, to meet needs, to do good deeds, and to meet pressing needs. Lord God, give us clear eyes to see what is right before us, that we would walk in those good deeds which you have prepared, Lord, so that you would be glorified, and so that others would come to know Christ, the body would be built up, and people would be encouraged, needs would be met. Oh God, help us to do these things for your glory and honor. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.